The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. So glad you guys are here tonight. We are in the middle of a series. What we're hoping to do is walk through Christian basics, the core things about uh, Christianity, about our walks with the Lord, and we're hoping that um, that is helpful both for older believers and younger ones as well. And we want to be honest about what is it that a Christian believes, or what are the things, what are the big rocks that you want to have in place in your life. And I kind of wanted to share a little bit about my own take, um, even in my own Christian life, my own walk. Because as we've walked through some of these, I'm, remem- I'm remembering and recalling some of these significant things in my life. Um, but tonight, we're going to talk um, about strength, about being equipped. And I need you guys to know that I am not strong enough to live the Christian life. I am not able to do it. I don't have what it takes to live the life that God has called me to, um, to walk according to his ways. I don't know enough. There's things that sometimes I'm confused about um, or uh, just don't know. I've been a Christian since 1999. Um, So, if you're thinking about my spiritual age, I'm like a college kid um, in my spirituality. But there's things I don't know. I'm also not patient enough to be a Christian. Uh, I'm not loving enough. There's times where I want things immediately, and I don't want to wait, um, and, and I don't have the capacity to love people around me. My own selfish desires overpower me often. I give in to things that I want that I know aren't good, that, um, that, are, that are bad. I actually think I'm immature to have three children, too. <laughs> I'm way too immature. It sometimes boggles my mind that that's the case. Um, not only that, so in my Christian walk, those things, right, are things that I feel. It's also true for things that God has called me to. I feel, at times, completely unequipped to lead this movement, to lead uh, and figure out where we're going, what, what good things to push. I feel unequipped, and, uh, and even our team, I, feel, I could feel unequipped to do that. I don't have what it takes. And now some of you may be like, maybe thinking, man, uh, maybe you need to sit down. <laughs> Why am I listening to you, right? Like, what, what's, what's the deal here? Or you may be recalling times where you have felt that way in your life, times where you, that has been, you wake up and you just feel, I am not able to do life. I'm not able to live the life that Jesus called me to. Um, and what do you do with that? Um, is that something you should expect, anticipate? Is, or is, are you the abnormal person? And I think the answer, Jesus comes along, right, and speaks to us in the midst of that. And there's such peace when Jesus comes into our life and preaches truth to us, speaks truth, and reorients us. And what I love is that he says to me, yes, Tom, you don't have what it takes, which I think to me would be a little surprising. Like, what? Wait a minute. Shouldn't Jesus say something different? But this is what he says. This is the theme of the Bible, that we don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes, and Jesus has been waiting for me to realize that. 
to come to grips with my inability to walk the Christian life. Now, that is counter to things you'll hear. Pop psychology, um, people who are like the uh, motivational speakers, here's what they'll tell you. They'll say, look and find um, the strength that you need. It's inside you. You just need to believe yourself. You need to be confident in yourself, and you will be able to do incredible things. Just find it in yourself. But the Bible actually says the exact opposite of that. The Bible comes and says, stop kidding yourself. You know it's true. Your strength isn't good enough. But great news, I am. Jesus says that I am good enough. I give you all the strength that you need. I am everything that you need. Jesus is the one who provides um, the strength, everything that, that we need. Actually, the key freedom that Christians are called to live in is through his strength to the things he provides for us. And that is actually such a fundamental truth. It's an easy truth, right? It's not, we don't have what it takes, but he gives us everything that we need, all of it, to live the Christian life, to do, to do what we do. He provides all of that for us. And that is a simple truth. You can get your head around that. But I'm telling you, as a believer for almost two decades, it is hard to live that out. It is hard. I need to be reminded again and again of the reality that I cannot trust in myself, rely on myself, but God has given me everything, everything that I need. So that's what we're going to look at tonight and explore. So if you grab a Bible or open up an app, we have Bibles if you want one. We'd love for you to, to take one um, home with you. If you don't own one as a gift from us, take it home, mark it up. Um, and what we're going to be looking at is Galatians 5, if you want to turn there. Um, <clears throat> it's in the New Testament, after 1st, 2nd Corinthians, you've got Galatians. And if you don't mind actually standing in honor of the Word as we read the passage for tonight. Here is um, what Paul says, starting in verse 13. Sorry, actually, I'm going to skip down to 16. We're going to start there. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let me pray. Lord, I, I do ask, even for tonight, that it would be you um, who works and moves inside our hearts, that it'd be you who um, uh, speaks to us through your word, where we ask for you to do the things that we can't. We ask for you to be the strength that we know we just can't conjure up for ourselves. We ask that even for tonight. Amen. You can 
have a seat. I also want to let you know, I love answering questions. Um, so this number on the screen, if you want to punch it in your phone, um, it's not on every slide, so it's just easy to, to get it in. But I, at the end, am hoping to answer a couple questions that you guys might have about the topic, um, the passage we just read, anything really. Um, love to address that. So um, as you read this text, there's actually two major players that are significant when we read this text. It's The first one is flesh, or the word flesh that showed up a bunch of times. And my question, and I'd love to hear from you guys, what is flesh? What's the definition of flesh? What do you think of? Because um, we don't use that term that frequently in the way that it's being used here. But I want to hear, there's four definitions. I'm only really looking for three. But yeah, what, what do you guys think? What's a definition of flesh, or what do you think of? Human nature, yes. Yeah, that's a good one, human nature. Any other thoughts? What's that? The tissues of the body, or just simply the body, right? Like, think of your flesh, right? The, the, yeah, that's right, Shandell, that's great. You had another thought? Sin, yes. The sinful condition, right? And sometimes we would put the human condition some, in line with, with sin. So the question here is, as you look at this text, and as you maybe, maybe you could flip back to it, um, but as you see it, which definition do you think functions the best? Sin uh, or the sinful condition, the human body, or um, humanity, or even reliance on self? That would be another thing, right? When Paul talks about the, the, the flesh, he's talking about reliance on self. Which one of these is the best, do you think? How many of you think sin, sinful condition is like the best definition for this one, for this passage? Okay, just a couple of you. How many of you think it's human nature or relying on self? Okay, more of you. Yeah, okay. Um, I think we intrinsically think about, you know, that reliance, the trust in self, that kind of thing. And actually, um, as I've been reading this passage, there's, the word is sarks, and it actually can mean all three of the, you know, it can mean all three of those things, um, but that one of them is a subset of another. I think the passage, the most um, probably comprehensive is sinful condition. That what Paul is talking about is our sin nature, our bentness towards sin, but a huge subset of that, and maybe the biggest issue of our sinful condition is our reliance on ourself, is our trusting in our own flesh. Meaning I'm trusting in my own body, I'm trusting in my own abilities, I'm trusting in my own things. Um, and Jacob, man, this is... This has been true of all my kids, but more recently, Jacob, he can't, he sometimes tries to put on his shoes, um, and you hear him screaming from the other room because he cannot put them on, and he's just so frustrated, and I want to come in, I'm like, I'll help you put on your shoes, it's fine, like, I'll, I'll do this for you, and he's like, no, I want to do it myself, and he's just so agitated, and he'll burst into tears, and I know that that's a little bit of me, because I remember growing up, there were times, even as a teenager, like things that I'd do, and I would just get so frustrated, I can't do it, and I, want, I don't want help, I just want to do it myself, right? We know this, right? We like to rely on ourselves, grow in our ability um, to do that, and that's flesh. That is probably the biggest issue in our sinful nature, bentness, 
We want to try to do things ourselves. That's the flesh nature. That's the, the other big player, in contrast to that, is the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Yeah, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But often, when we think about the Spirit, He's kind of like the awkward third wheel to the party. Um, we get the Father and the Son, right? Like, we get that relationship. Um, we get that the, the Son trusts the Father, and He comes down to earth and the Father has sent the Son, and there's this love between them. And the Spirit is just kind of this, it's just mysterious. We don't really know it, it, what is this thing. It's like the force. It's some mysterious, we, we have no real conception, right? Father, Son, locked in my head. I got that. The Spirit is just bizarre. But it doesn't have to be quite that complicated. It is simply Christ himself living inside of us, the Spirit of Christ. Um, there's a connectedness to Jesus that if you, if you actually walk through the Old Testament, you'll notice that God actually himself resides in different spaces. It used to be in the Garden of Eden, he'd walk around. Then it was the tabernacle, the temple that he built. And now he actually sets up shop inside of a believer. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit actually comes to live inside of you. He, it's, it's the Spirit of Christ. It is Him, invisible nature inside of us. If you remember last week, Catherine did the illustration with the, with the milk and the chocolate inside. When you become a believer, the chocolate milk is inside of you. That's what happens. That's how you're sealed in the Spirit when you become a believer. So, really, in this passage, there are two options in front of believers. And I want you to see this in a sketch um, and some of you may be familiar with this. So in this sketch, you've got this line where you've got, um, on the bottom, you've got death, um, eternal death. The, the reality that what sin does is it leads us towards death. It puts us in a condition of dying. But when you come to Jesus, and if you follow the, the, the arrow going up, this is your life as time passes. And when you come to Jesus, what he does is he puts you from the place of death into a place where you can start walking in life um, and pursuing life. But at every moment of our lives, there are potential struggles that we face, um, things that we deal with, questions that we have, um, conflict, different things that we, we have. And there's these opportunities in the midst of our struggles to do one of two things. One, to obey the Spirit, to follow the Spirit, to be led by that, or to follow the flesh. And you may not realize it, but that moment of doing that happens way more frequently than you know. And it is really kind of important to be conscious of that, that as I walk through my life, I have the opportunity of trusting in myself, in my flesh, which I know is bent already in a certain direction, or giving that over to allow the Spirit to lead me. This is what's true. Now, as as Paul was writing Galatians, the letter that we just read a little piece of, he is responding to a group of people. So Paul was like starting churches all over the place. I mean, he just went about as far as you could go, spreading the gospel. Other Christians kind of built churches. Peter stayed in Jerusalem and, and really grew the church there, which is awesome. And Paul is like zinging out. And what he was doing that was brand new, he was bringing in Gentile believers, non-Jewish people. And as he was doing that, people get, got very concerned about these people who were not becoming Jewish. Like, man, Paul, 
you're giving Jesus and his freedom to these people, but they don't know how to live. They don't know how to, they, they don't know how to actually orient their lives to goodness, to actually the good life. You need to make sure that they follow the laws. You need to make sure that they get circumcised and they start eating kosher and that they look at the Ten Commandments and obey the Ten Commandments. And they, get, they got very concerned. And so they sent out, so after Paul goes out, they sent out a contingent of um, people called the Judaizers, and their whole goal was to talk to people who've come to know Jesus, and they try to turn them Jewish. They tried to, hey, here's the law. You need to obey these things. Um, and this is what Paul is responding to. Their solution was, you got to follow the law. And their, their idea was, there's too much freedom. There's absolutely too much freedom. They're going to go into sin. Can you imagine for a second if we had no laws? There is no law, nothing that you do is wrong or punishable anymore, right? So no president, no like legal authorities, no cops. What would, so tell me, what would happen? What are you imagining right now? What would you do? What would you see people do? What are you thinking? All right. Who would drive faster? I would 100% drive faster. The other day, there were cops out here pulling over people on their bikes. Didn't you guys see this? You know why they were pulling them over? No. I would have thought that too. No, stopping and stopping. Because they had headsets in. Did you know you're not allowed to have headsets in while you're on a bike or on these scooter type things? I didn't know that. But, Yeah. I'd be, I'd be on my phone in the car as maybe irresponsible as that is. Like, it wouldn't be hiding under the dash, right? It'd be up front, right? What else would happen? What would happen? Imagine this. No laws. What would you do? Just take what you want, right? Do whatever. It's absolute chaos. If, any, if you watch any of like the apocalyptic type shows, right, this is what this is. This is the scenario playing out. But how crazy is it, though, when Paul teaches about Christianity, it is exactly what he means. Christians are freed from the law. And Paul responds by saying, the law is not needed. A, a, a reliance on the law is not needed. A Christian is actually absolutely free from the law totally free from the law. It's true. There's insane freedom. Watch what he says in, in verse 16. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may, do, may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Spirit is this thing that we're, we're freed from the law in order to be led by the Spirit. There is absolute freedom. What's interesting to notice in this passage is not just that there's flesh and that, and that there's the Spirit, this sinful nature and the Holy Spirit working in your lives, but these, these things are actually warring against each other. They're diametrically opposed. If you've ever played with magnets, right, where you do the positive to the positive, and you like push them against each other, and it's like this squishy, weird force. It's so bizarre, but it's so fun. I don't know why, right? Like you push them, and you're like, I'm going to push these things together. And it's, 
This is, this is like that, that the sinful nature and the spirit, they repel each other. They are headed in opposite directions. So much so that if you pursue the spirit, if you allow the spirit just access to your life, it will naturally push out your sinful flesh. It'll just push it out. What we try to do all the time, though, is we try to fix ourselves, right? I'm going to do these things to get rid of this sin in my life. I'm going to work real hard through these things. And that's what these Judaizers wanted. Just follow these laws. Do this. Don't do this. Make this happen. And guess what? It doesn't work. How many times, right? We've got speed limit signs all over the place, and, we're, you know, you still speed. These cops pulling people over, I'm sure, like, go around the corner. They're putting their earbuds back in. Like, I'm positive that's happening. Um, and yet... If we follow the Spirit, it naturally just pushes out the sin condition. It just pushes it out. But it's a totally different way of living, a totally different mode of living. Um, I'm going to read 19 through 23 again. The deeds of the flesh are evident, and this list is just ridiculous, right? Immorality, drunkenness, carousing, things like these that I've forewarned you, right? Dissensions, factions, drunkenness, all this stuff, terrible things that were led to again and again, but on the opposite side is the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And against these things, there is no law. Can you imagine a law that says you must be gentle, right? How would you even enforce that, right? There's so much subjectivity to, to that. But what I want you to notice is that these two lists aren't just like opposite lists, but they're described fundamentally in different ways. The deeds of the flesh it's something you do. It's something active that you produce in doing something versus the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit and something being produced in a fruit kind of way is totally different than a deed. If you think about a tree, right? A tree doesn't stand there like a, an apple tree, right? doesn't stand there and is like, I want apples, and I'm going to make apples. So, little apple pops out. I want more apples. Apple, apple, apple. Nope, that's not, this is not at all how a tree works. A tree, what does it do? It simply is. It stands in the sun, allows the sun to heat it up. Its leaves grow, and it draws in nutrients from the ground as its roots go deeper and deeper. It just drinks in nutrients and water and it, and it breathes in carbon dioxide. And just by being a tree and just breathing and drinking and basking, a fruit appears. It's not trying to produce a fruit. It just produces fruit because it's just there. So those are the options, right? Try, 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 make something happen, make something happen, right? That is trying to kick out sin in your life. Or you just let the Spirit do its work. You just bask in it. You live in it, and then it naturally just pushes it out. The fruit happens. It just exists. It's how it happens. It's a byproduct of existing. So, but that's the reality, right? We try to do. We try to do things and try to make it happen, but what that means is we're only able to accomplish what we ourselves can accomplish, and that's what I was trying to say when we, open up, when we opened up. It's not very much. We cannot accomplish a whole lot. God calls, what God calls us to, we can't do on our own. I want you to hear the story um, of Corrie ten Boom. 
She was um, an, a phenomenal woman in World War II. And I want you to watch this video um, because her story is just so remarkable. When you think about forgiveness, being able to forgive, um, and I have to apologize because there is a watermark. This is the best video I could find, and I looked for a ton of, a ton of places, but this is the best one I could find. Um, but yeah, let's, let's roll that. Bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest, and the first to forget is the happiest. One of my great heroes is Corrie ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught, and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister, Betsy, died there. She's an amazing woman, and after the war, she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time, and at the end of her talk, she recognized the man coming up to her, and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then, and as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. He didn't recognize her, but she knew, she recognized him. She could see him, and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things, but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. This. Did you catch that? She, ha, ha, she had nothing but hate. And she said at the end, can you forgive? No, I can't either, but he can. It's remarkable. The things that God can and would do through us. The reality is we don't have what it takes, but he does. To produce fruit in our lives, to be the men and women that we're called to be, all these things. Uh, the last verse that I want to look at is what Paul kind of declares. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you've come, if you've moved from death to life, if Jesus has resurrected your heart, if, if you have come to live by the Spirit, then also walk by the Spirit. Let that be the thing that, that controls your every day. Um, and I am convinced that the spirit that lives inside the believer is the solution 
to absolutely every problem that you face, everything, every category, in every kind of way, um, we can rely and trust in the Spirit to help us through issues in life. We have opportunities often. So what I want to do is just walk through three ways, because that still may sound, for some of you, like up there, like ethereal, walk by the Spirit. It's just some like empty phrase, but how do I actually do that? What does that look like? And I want to walk through just three practical, practical examples. There's a myriad of, of examples that we could walk through, um, and if you want, you could text in like a question of, how would I walk in the Spirit by doing this? Um, but here's the three that I thought of. The first one is you're caught in sin, right? Um, someone has caught you or you are, are exposed just to yourself. You've done something that you're like, why did I do that, right, afterwards in a moment of clarity, um, and you're caught in your sin. So the, the flesh option, the relying on self option, you could do a number of things. You could mope, right? Just mope around, be sorry for yourself. Gosh, it's just who I am. I'm a terrible person. You could self-punish yourself, um, start berating yourself, or sometimes, you know, you actually do go, don't eat something. You, you like sit in your own sorrow, right, as like a self-flagellation. I am going to just sit in my own sin for a little while, right? Oh, another way of like dealing with your own sinfulness. Um, you could ignore it and just diminish it by distraction, right? I'm just going to try to cover it up. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't all, you know, even though deep down you know, hey, this wasn't that great. You try to cover it and distract yourself. Um, this one's really popular. Earn, you try to earn back God's favor by some promise. Hey, this week, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, like, spend time praying um, that I'm somehow going to earn back my right standing with God, right? So these are all the responses, and I've been there. Like, I've done these things flesh responses, or you can rely on his spirit. And it's simple. You just say, Lord, I, I just want to confess that I blew it. I did this thing that I seem to do again and again, or I'm just sad that I've done this. And I know that it's wrong. And I know that it's not something that you want for me. And I know it doesn't just hurt myself, but it hurts people in my life. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. And I am so thankful that your death on the cross wasn't just some mysterious thing that you did for me, but you actually died for this thing that I just did. You died for this particular act, and I'm so thankful that I stand in that. Even though right now I may not feel forgiven, I may still feel crappy, but I trust in faith that what you say is true and that I actually stand forgiven, regardless of how I feel. And I want to ask you to help me. Would you help me grow in this area of my life? That is what it looks like to live in freedom. You can be open about your sin, honest. Say, yes, it was terrible. And then say, yes, it's forgiven. How joyous. So a moment of sin can actually be a moment of joy of you living in God's righteousness, not your own. That's life-giving. That's good. Second, another example. Let's say you experience fear for an upcoming task an assignment, an exam you have to take, something you got to perform at, right? And you get this welling kind of fear about that thing that you have to do. And I know that one, like, 
you will go through those moments, right? You probably are in the middle. You're probably thinking of something right now, like something you have to do this week or next week. Um, so again, self-reliance, flesh response. And this is, I would always do this. I would overanalyze. What the heck do I need to do? I'm going to think it through. What do I need to do? What, how can I get ahead of this? Over-prepare. I, I remember the first couple talks I gave. I mean, I just went. I probably did three times the amount of work than a normal person would because I wasn't going to let, you know, I was actually going to do it well, right? And so I was like crushing it and going over the top. And some of you, that is your flesh response. I will not fail, right? Some of you made that agreement with yourself. Will not fail in these categories. And so you're going to go out of your way to really hit it. Um, Now, an opposite thing, which incidentally I actually also do, is kind of to know that you have this thing you need to do, and then you just don't do it. Procrastinate, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like a couple hours before it's due, or you know, like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done this, right? You, you get that mortified moment of, like, why did I do this again, right? And then you muscle it through. And you make it happen sometimes, right? You just push it through. Again, trusting in yourself. And through all of that, there's just that buzz of anxiety, right? Which we all love, right? That anxiety of, like, failure, all that stuff. That, that is like trying on your own, Right? Now, how do you live in the Spirit? How can we walk in the Spirit here? It's this. We go to God and we talk to Him. We say, Lord, I'm afraid of this. I feel this fear rising in me, and I want to just lay it at your feet. I want to just give it to you. Um, I don't want to live in this. I don't want this to be the drumbeat of my life that I'm constantly worried about this thing and this thing and this thing. Can you take this? And I trust that you will. I give it over to you. And I want to remember that you promise you're going to give me the things that I need. You have given me the things that I need. I want to trust that you will provide, even in this thing that I'm worried about. And even in, in the midst of all of that, that you are with me, that you see me, you know the things that I actually need. And I know that I care a lot about this, but I actually want to trust you more than the results of what I want to see happen. Maybe you want this to bomb. Maybe you want something to go poorly because you have something else in mind. Maybe I'm thinking too much. This is too significant, too important, and I just need to trust you. Would you help me in that? Um, Would I rely on you? Right? It's casting your care on him. It is letting him move in the midst. And the anxiety can maybe slowly dissipate That doesn't mean you don't do work, right? Like, you do work. But hopefully, as you do that, you're emotionally in a place where you can do better work than than when you have that fear kind of running you. Last one um, is, what if you find yourself as the person who doesn't have a desire to read the Bible, you don't have a desire to pray? It's, you know that these things are important, but you just I just don't feel like it, and I don't want to do these things. Um, So here's what the self-reliant person will do, okay? The self-reliant person will say, I know I need to do this. Jesus says it's pretty important. The Bible says it's pretty important. So I'm going to just do it, okay? I'm going to go after it, nose to the grind. Um, So what's it going to take, right? You may even have that, like, is 10 minutes enough? I'll do my 10 minutes, right, and check the box. And I have a bad attitude about it, but I'm going to do it. 
And maybe I don't have a bad attitude. It's just something I know I need to do, and it's not enjoyable, but I'll do it. I'll be a good soldier and do the work. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do this, but, but it's kind of mundane. And you kind of ask the question, what'll count? What'll count? So that's one, right? You just do it. You go after it. Now, the other way to, do the, to kind of rely on yourself is actually to not read the Bible and not pray to not pursue the gifts because you think to yourself, well, my attitude's not in the right place. So it's not going to count for anything. Why would I? If, right? It's the, actually, it's the total opposite of this one. It's like I'm not going to pursue. I'm actually going to do the things that I think um, I'll enjoy. So um, I'm going to go pursue watching something or reading some book or pursuing something, right? I'm going to do something that feels more life-giving than prayer, reading my Bible. Both of these, again, trusting in your own strength and your own ability. One, running to, right? And the other one, running away. But what if, instead, you pursued the Spirit and you say, Lord, you just be real with them about your apathy. I don't, I don't know why you wrote the Bible the way you did. It's hard for me to understand. I don't get a lot out of it. Lord, would you, I don't know why you did that. Um, why is it so hard? In my relationship to you, with you, when I pray, why don't I hear from you? Why do I feel empty sometimes? He loves it when we're honest and real with him. Laying that again before him and then saying, Lord, would you help me? Maybe there's something I'm not seeing. Would you help grow my heart? Uh, I pray that maybe as I read a passage, would you lead that? Would you illuminate it that there would be something in there for me? I pray, too, that you give me strength and power in my prayer life. Would you do that? You know my capacities. I need your help here because you know my heart. I don't want to do this. Can you grow my desire? Throwing it back on the Spirit, letting the Spirit produce the things in you, right? The fruit that you're trying to produce is growth in reading the Bible or praying. Yeah, if you go like this, it's not going to happen. But if we open our arms and let God move in us, He will grow that fruit in us. So, this is the, one of the bedrocks. A Christian life is all about walking in the Spirit. The freedom, actually, the incredible freedom for you to live in the reality of not needing to have what it takes because you don't. He provides all of it for us. Um, and I want us, I want us to be a group that encourages each other to pray for the Spirit's work in our lives. You know that all the things that we do, if the Spirit's not involved in it, it's like all for naught. Nothing's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I want to pray, but are there any questions? Do we have any? All right, we maybe got one or two. Uh, we got a few questions for you. Some of these you touched on briefly, but just to reiterate okay. quickly. Um, so one is, how can we practically just bask in the Spirit? As you kind of talked about the tree basking in the sun, uh, how can we do the same? Yeah, I will say uh, come next week, actually, because that is... Josh will be speaking exactly on that. How do you create an environment around you um, to breathe in the carbon dioxide, to breathe in the nutrients, or drink in the nutrients, and bask in the sun? There's going to be a couple elements of that next week. Um, but honestly, at the end of the day, it's, it's very simple. You, you just, um, there's a consciousness of knowing that God is at work in you, um, and, and you're looking for it. There's, if you can shift your attitude in some way, to think that right now God has something right here for me 
And even in the midst of frustrations, this has been something that I've been growing in. I'll just give one example, and then we'll have to wait for next week. But I often would be so mad when something would frustrate my day, right? I'm some slow driver in front of me when I'm in a hurry to go somewhere. I'd get frustrated or something's not working. We're missing a cord for like the, the power, you know, the projector, and we're frustrated, right? And I used to think these things are barriers to like what the Lord wants, and there's a slow shift of a consciousness of no, the Lord has something in this for me to trust him, to grow in him. And so I think it's partly the environment stuff we'll be talking about next week, but also just kind of an attitude that the Lord is actually at work in your life with everything that happens. There, I just don't think there really are coincidences. Sounds good. I'll be sure to be here next week, so get that ah. answer. Um, how don't do you screw know, it up, Josh. <laughs> how do you know that you're following joke. the Spirit? How do you know you're following the Spirit? Um, that is a great question. I, I think, um, how do you know you're following the Spirit? So, you, sometimes you do these diagnostics to figure out, am I growing spiritually or not? And one bad diagnostic question is to ask, do I read my Bible every day? That's actually a pretty poor diagnostic um, because, as I just mentioned, you could do that and not be growing spiritually at all. And I went for phases of my life where I actually grew a ton in my knowledge of Scripture. And then looking back, uh, like a year later, being like, oh my gosh, I was actually more spiritually alive a year ago. What's going on? Why am I not growing? And I think if, you're, if you want to assess, hey, am I growing in the Spirit? It's to look at the long term, not the short term. Um, it's to look back and really think about the fruits of the Spirit and say, um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is being loving. So to ask yourself, am I growing? Am I seeing evidence that I'm growing in my capacity to love other people? Um, am I seeing evidence that actually things frustrate me less than they used to? Those are much better questions to ask, um, evidence of the fruit. And again, you got to wait months, right? You can't just be like, today and tomorrow or the next week, like, these, you know, how long does it take for an apple to show up? It takes a while, and you actually can't see it grow. Um, but I'd say move away from some of those, like, how many times did I pray? How many times did I do this? I'd start asking, do I see fruit growing in my life? Am I becoming more gentle? Or do I fly off the handle, you know? I, yeah, something like that is what I'd suggest. Thank you. We have one more question. It says, I understand that a Christian is free from the law, and I try to live by the Spirit but I am also sinful and broken. How should I balance feeling guilty slash unhappy when I do sin versus feeling free because of this freedom? Right, okay. So, because sin is grievous, and we don't want to ignore the grievousness of sin. So, here's the danger is when we sin, and you don't want to, like, gloss over, nothing that I say means sin is, like, okay, it's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, Right? Um, but the problem is we sometimes try to grovel in sin, and what we're doing is just trying to say, this really was terrible, this was awful, and in order for God to, like, restore me, I need to make him know, I need to get myself to a place of realizing this was awful and terrible and bad, right? And so that becomes the, the new thing you need to do in order to be forgiven. I need to feel bad enough. Only people who feel bad enough can be forgiven, um, does that make sense? So, um, and that's the danger. So what you want to do is, in the moment of sin, I think the answer is actually to be honest with the Lord about that and say, I know this thing was bad and terrible, and I know that you've forgiven me for that. 
and I want to live in freedom from this sin. I don't think that's necessarily the moment for you to consciously go into the depths and depravity of what sin is like. I think maybe you want to give yourself a little distance from that so it's not so personal, perhaps, um, and read a book about depravity, read a book about sin, and then explore that. Let that, you know what I mean? Let that be a little less personal. Just, and I only say that just to distance yourself from kind of looking at God in a moralistic way, you know. Um, it may be helpful sometimes to sit in that, um, but I would just caution. Um, so that's how I'd balance it. I'd see, what's going on in my heart? Am I seeing God as a father who's forgiven me, or am I trying to earn back his favor? That's really the big, the big issue at stake. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So if you want to pray us out, that's where yeah. the team comes up. love to pray for us. Um, and actually, uh, I would suggest if you know, the Lord's spoken to you or you want to grow in the Spirit, come up and get prayer with students. Um, take every opportunity because prayer actually works. Like things happen spiritually that are remarkable. So let me pray, and I'd suggest during worship that you get prayed yourself. Lord, I, I do pray for myself that you would just free me from my reliance on me and on the things that I can do. Lord, would you open my heart to trust you, to rely on you. Um, I pray that um, as I walk my Christian life, that you would just continue to grow um, my, my quickness to turn to you, um, my authenticity before you. I want to be real with you. And I pray that you grow that in me. I pray that that would be true of us. Would we lead each other into real things, authentic things? I pray that we'd encourage each other to trust you more and more each day. And we're just overwhelmed, really, by the fact that you've provided your spirit for us to live. Um, Lord, that you give your very self and you've poured yourself into us. I'm thankful that you've done that. Um, would we not ignore that? And I pray that all the things that we say and do would be to glorify you, to honor you. I pray even as we take time to worship, Lord, would you take delight in that, enjoy in that. Um, we... We know you deserve it, and we want to. We want to give you that glory. We pray all these things in your goodness. Amen. The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's Penn State CRU dot o-r-g this talk is licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivative works 3.0 united states license you are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter transform or build upon this talk in any way